Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, a slight tangent, the crappy quiz, and you had to be there. You have to be there, like, but I wish I wasn't there. (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. Off the Ball Daily. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, delighted to be here and delighted to be alongside such special talents and it's great to celebrate them all tonight. I'm going to do a little bit of an intro and then we're going to play a brilliant video that Joe got put together. So we have the Queen of Irish MMA. She was previously ranked as the number three female flightweight in the world and the top female mixed martial artist in Ireland, former MMA champion fighter and Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, it's Ashling Daly. <laughs> She's a central figure in the Irish women's team, which we represent in the country at its first ever World Cup next summer, this summer. She also has just a hundred caps for Ireland. It's Republic of Ireland and Birmingham City footballer, Louise Quinn. A silver medalist from the 2011 Special Olympics in Athens, she then went on to prove her brilliance by winning gold at the 2015 Games with an all-star performance. It's Inchi Core and Oblates basketballer Sarah Byrne. Yeah. And among her many achievements and successes, she was a member of the Ireland team that played in the 2018 Women's Hockey World Cup Final. Not only is she a Hockey World Cup silver medalist, she's also an Olympian. It's Roisin Upton. Yeah, I think it's uh, pretty amazing. I don't know about you, Louise, but like the success over the last number of years, it's been phenomenal. Um, yeah, just still watching Amber Barrett's big toe get us to the World Cup is... <laughs> toe poke. <laughs> yeah, just literally. I think I would just watch that video for, you know, a month straight and I would just text Amber randomly and just tell her how much I love her. And um, Yeah, we're just a very tight-knit group and just to kind of finally get to that stage where we've, you know, potentially underachieved and had barriers in our way and then just to finally get to a tournament um, in the World Cup in Australia is, uh, yeah, it's, it's goosebumps all the time. And has it properly sank in that you're going to a World Cup? Um, yes and no, because I, I do think about it every day. Um, <laughs> you kind of don't stop. Everything is shaped around... Um, yeah, just what can happen in in July and the excitement and what it's going to be like and how it's going to just just everything, even logistics of you know how to get there once you're there. Like we we had a bit of a, a team chat in the last camp and they were just trying to go through some of the logistics of just you know you can't wear brands, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't, and you're just like you know it's very just seems so strict and mm-hmm. you know what I mean. We're just it's. It's just so new to us, but it's, yeah, it's, it's just a dream come true. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. And I'll bring you back to Hamden Park, Scotland. I was there, 72nd minute, as you said, Amber Barrett scored the goal. And that was the difference in the end. Like Caroline Weir, she missed a penalty for Scotland. Everything just went right that night. And we needed other results mm-hmm. on the other side of games to go our way. But finally, things just fell into place for Ireland. And it's not always been that way. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that's it. The the luck was on our result on our side. The results in terms of just what other teams did for us and uh, the same games on that day were played maybe an hour or two earlier than ours. And so at half time, Vera told us that Portugal beat Iceland, and you know, so we were just a bit taken back. But she was like, "So just go win the game." It's there. If you want to win the game, you can go straight to the World Cup and then that's it. And then even at the end, I think I was talking to her after she was like, should I have told you that? And I was like, oh, like, you know, yeah, it's, it is that thing because are you then thinking about it? Does it add extra nerves? Does it do, mm -hmm. does it do this, that and the other? But for me then, it was just kind of like, right, we've gone 1-0 up. And then that was for the last 15, 20 minutes then, it was, you know, that was the, motiv the motivation. Um, and yeah, it was... Yeah, just just what a day. And I, like, I don't know, as you said, everything went our way. I felt like we started the game really well. Mm -hmm. There was, we were able to like nullify some of their best players, Caroline Weir, Aaron Cuthbert, like Katie was just hassling them. The girls were winning, just their little battles and it's all just little things that then motivate you. And yeah, we, we gave away a penalty, which was unfortunate, but I actually think if Nifahi didn't handball, like, you know, she didn't mean to handball yeah. it, but if she didn't, it was probably a goal for Scotland. I like I think it was going in so and then just once you know the penalty was I was just so confident that Courtney was going to save it and again Katie told us then later on that night so she was sitting behind Courtney Brosnan and um, the goalkeeper in goal and just before we got to Hampden Park she was looking at Caroline Weir take penalties no way and so she was studying it. She'd done it. We'd taken penalties for the you know the whole week but she was specifically looking at Caroline Weir take penalties and so she she knew it she knew which way she was going to go she was confident with it and then that was it I was kind of like you know we we have this now we we felt far more confident than they did and just kind of played our game mm -hmm. nullified their game they didn't know what to do um and yeah it was probably as nerve-wracking as it was it was probably one of the more confident games that I think we've played as a team yeah, it's funny you say that because as the press, when we were all there and we did, you know, the, the pre-press conference and all of that before the game, and we would feel this air of confidence, definitely. And even after the game, when I spoke to Vera Pau, she said, you know, Amber Barrett came up to me before the game and said, put me on, I'll get you a goal. <laughs> so I was like, whoa, that is confidence. You know, yeah, yeah. Amber says that every game though. Oh, right. so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, please put me on, I'll definitely score. <laughs> but no, that was it. And Vera said it. She just said she had this and she always does this. She, she has this feeling. She always touches her fingers. This is Vera? Yeah, yeah, this okay. is Vera. She's like, I have this feeling that Amber was going to score and that this was going to happen. And she was... You know, it was spot on and that's Vera, she, yeah, for a lot of things goes with her gut and with her feeling for a lot of things. And um, yeah, it was it was obviously just, you know, the the best thing. And, and Amber has been through a lot and has been in the squad, in and out of the squad mm -hmm. for many years, but she's, she's absolutely vital to the team. I think when everyone kind of saw her interview and how she puts herself across and just what she does for the team she's she's a huge part of it she keeps up the team spirit constantly with her you know just her personality and she's yeah she's absolutely hilarious and calls herself the queen of ireland and all this stuff so <laughs> you just go with it yeah at times yeah yeah she's a great character um she, she'd have you laughing like any of the interviews constantly. i've done with her but for now, what is it like, I suppose, you're constantly thinking of the World Cup. Obviously, you're with Birmingham City, that's your club. 
but can you, I suppose, put it aside for the time being, concentrate on club, or is it just World Cup, World Cup, constantly in your head? Um, I think it's, it's, it is definitely a, a main thought in my head, mm-hmm. but it's, of course, it's just, you know, you have to get on with everything. Um, mm-hmm. And probably as the girls know, like, sport, it's 24-7, everything you think of, everything you do, everything you eat, you drink, how you rest, how you recover is... 24-7 and it's for the sport you love but um, yeah but obviously it's you know it's making sure that you're playing well so then when we go into camp in February um, you know that you're just prepared and ready mm-hmm. and and fit so yeah it's uh, it is hard to you know sometimes get out your mind and you know you might do for a little bit but then yeah New Year's came around and everyone was showing all the videos again and she just can't help <laughs> but not watch it and um and just, yeah, just want to have that, you know, finally that end goal of mine. And I just want to enjoy every minute of us because, yeah, that was, you know, the best, the best feeling that you could, you could ever feel until, you know, you, you get to that tournament. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, uh, yeah, but, you know, you've still got to just get on with, with day-to-day life. You and yeah. if, if anyone wants to talk about the World Cup, I'm happy to at any <laughs> stage. And, you know... It's absolutely grand, yeah. And what does the preparations look like? So camp in February? Yeah, so we will um, go to Spain in February. Uh, we'll play, I think, two games there. Mm-hmm. Then we'll go to Turkey in April, potentially play another two games. And then from uh, pretty much the start of June, we'll kind of be just in camp in Ireland. Um which will, it'll almost be kind of like a club training, like, you know, you'll train for two days, day off, train for another two days, potentially a game at the weekend, mm-hmm. potentially like in-house game or um, games against boys' teams and yeah. stuff like that. And that'll carry on for, you know, for a whole month. So it's, um, yeah, it seems like really good prep. You're kind of, you know, you're going into the unknown a little mm-hmm. bit, but it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's very exciting to try just figure that out and, yeah, we'll see where, thankfully, we, you know, we all like each other. So to spend the whole kind of two months, two and a half months with each other is going to be, you know, it's going to be a challenge for anyone. Mm-hmm. But it is, uh, it's something, yeah, where we have just a great group, group of girls and it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a joy. And you were telling me just before we came on air here that your family are here tonight. They're going to be coming to Australia. I think you were telling me your sister lives over there. So they'll all be there to support. Yeah, yeah, they're sitting front and centre there, and uh, my yeah sister Sinead lives in Melbourne, and unfortunately none of the games are in Melbourne. But um, yeah, she's planning out the route for the family, which way they're going to go, which hotel they're going to stay in, what they're going to eat, when they're going to eat. Gonna eat. <laughs> um, yeah, she has kind of the whole thing to sorted. Yeah, and then yeah, I have my best friend Michael there as well. So he was in Scotland for the game as well. So oh, good he was uh, yeah the first person I got to embrace then, you know, as soon after the game. And, um, yeah, so we're just going to, yeah, they'll make they'll make a good trip out of it, I'm sure. It's important to have that because, obviously, for your 100 cap as well, it was a friendly over in Spain. But I remember seeing the pictures with your parents afterwards and you got a goal that day as well, Louise. It all worked out pretty well. Oh, yeah, a terrible goal, but a goal. No, you take <laughs> yeah. it. You take it. Any goals? No, goal. no, it was, um, <laughs> yeah, it was It was a bit unconventional. I've, yeah, I've scored a few goals and every single one of them has been with my with my head. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was just, I was actually, we were like up for a, a free kick, trying to get the delivery into my head, didn't come. 
and then their defender was just trying to clear the ball so I went to go defend it in the box and it just hit my foot and, and went in you'll take it um, I'll absolutely take it yeah so it was yeah it was a very um, special 100th cap and yeah my mum dad and my sister who's here as well they were they were there to see us and um, yeah so it's, it's moments like that you've just got to savour them enjoy them um, yeah get the family involved you know and just make it a really kind of proud special few days yeah it's what it's all about and Roshi now I bring you in there you've been to a World Cup twice now I suppose 2018 is when hockey exploded really in Ireland when you went on to win that silver medal against the, the Netherlands what advice would you have for, for Louise now going to her first World Cup <laughs> um, yeah we were actually in quite a similar position we were um, we got in as the 15 out of 16 teams there, so we were ranked 15th. Um, so there was absolutely no pressure on us. But in our build-up, we had an eight-week build-up and we were absolutely terrible. Um, losing games, losing shootouts, um, you know, conceding goals left, right and centre. It wasn't a happy camp. And then our psychologist thankfully stepped in and I suppose set us straight in that there was no pressure. You know, the goal mm. was always to get there and it's then just to enjoy every minute. And we managed to do that and put a few results together. Um, so hopefully, yeah, you guys can do the same thing. Um, we're all looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, I was there in London watching one of the games as well. I think was it maybe against India. I think I can't remember one of the group games like earlier in the in 2018. Great, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it was Hot. you know, oh, it was absolutely yeah, yeah, it was absolutely <laughs> sweating, and uh, yeah, but that was like, you know, you had this ambition. I think what the hockey girls did yeah. as well was just kind of. As you're saying, coming in as the underdog, not expected to maybe get there, do you know what I mean? And that's, mm -hmm. it is literally, you know, you take inspiration from it. You almost have a, like a, you know, competitiveness and almost, like almost a jealousy, but in the best way, you're kind of like, I want to be yeah, what do. they're doing. Mm -hmm. Like that is, looks amazing. Look what they're doing for the, the country. Look how they're progressing sport. Like I played a little bit of hockey in school as well. And it was just you know, to then just kind of be able to see that that's developing and going, it, you know, it's, we're, it was a huge moment. Mm -hmm. Because it was a first, so, you know, it was massive, I think, for the sport as a whole. I think you've seen it really skyrocket from then. You've seen so many girls getting involved after that. Would you say that's probably the field that you got, Roisin? Yeah, I suppose similarly, um, we had people on the squad for 12 years trying to qualify for a major tournament, a World Cup and an Olympics, and had failed to. So when we finally got there, it was just about having the absolute crack. And, you know, nobody expected us to get out of our pool to the point that when we returned, having finished top of our pool, none of us could get back into our hotel rooms because our keys had all locked us out. <laughs> you shouldn't be here. <laughs> and that continued to happen after every single round. Uh, you know, we come back after the quarters, after the semis, and we just thought it was hilarious. And we had this big joke every morning. Um, a lot of the teams were staying in our team hotel. We had about 10 teams. And every morning, uh, after the pool stages, you know, teams were packing up to leave. And we were like, see you, lads, we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> we're still here. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. And was it the quarterfinal that I remember, the penalty shootout? Yeah. Yeah, and you stepped up first. Um, no, Jill Pinder stepped okay, up first. Okay. Yeah. But so you were one of them, weren't you? If I remember it right now. I was. We yeah, had yeah, a penalty yeah. shootout in the quarters Talk against India. Talk to us about India. that what it was like. Um, so we had played India previously in our pool stages and had won one nil, but a very tight affair. Um, so it was a cagey match the whole way through. Uh, went to a penalty shootout and thankfully, I mean, similar to yourselves, we've got an unbelievable goalkeeper. Um, so I think straight away that puts you at ease. Um, and I've, I've always felt like I wanted to be 
part of the driving seat I, I, I can't stand watching. So I actually think I'm more comfortable stood up waiting to take a shootout rather than being back with the girls watching. So, um, yeah, we went through to a semi-final um, and then we, we hit another shootout. Um, and ultimately, we, we came up against Spain in a semi-final. Uh, it finished one all. And going into that game, we were just thinking, this is the World Cup final. You know, we just, if we win this, we're going to get a medal. This is unbelievable. Who cares what happens after that? Um, but we're not going to be stuck in a place to come third or fourth because that'll be tricky. And, you know, the legs are getting tired at this stage. It was a tough two weeks. So that was our World Cup final. Um, and then magically, yeah, having, having Aisha McFerrin in goals again, it just, I think it settles everyone. The pressure of a penalty shootout. Like, I'm just thinking, Louise, if this came down to it in Australia, what would you be like? I'd be sitting on the bench. I'd be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. No. Don't even look at me. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, no. It just it depends. It's uh, it's not one of my yeah finer skills at the moment. But I'd absolutely step up to take one if the team needed it. But mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I'd be yeah hoping it's not uh, that it's not. <laughs> it's getting, not the case. Yeah, yeah. That it's not getting to that stage. Yeah, we just yeah go on to win. <laughs> And Roisin, at the minute, I suppose, with the, the Irish hockey team, there's been a bit of a transition. There's a lot of new girls coming through, a lot of retirements as well. So what's it like, I suppose, at, at the minute? Yeah, so I suppose last summer we went to our third major tournament in a row, which was massive because before 2018, we hadn't qualified for a World Cup or an Olympics since 2002. So to go three back-to-back -back has been absolutely brilliant. Um, but saying that, it's a been a huge transition and, you know, when you look at how hard it was to get to 2018, we then had five girls get their first cap at a World Cup last summer, which was insane. Um, from the Olympics in 2021 to the World Cup in 2022, we had lost uh, over 1,300 caps with retirees. So it was just a massive whirlwind, a big change. Um, and I suppose we tried to take the same attitude, but in a different way, because now countries knew about us. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it, us changed you know we were a completely different outfit and uh overall i think we performed where we were we were ha happy enough um we should have got one or two more results but we, we finished higher than our ranking um, and that's all you can do and now we're building towards paris um that, that's the next big thing yeah and what's the preparations like for that for people that might not know what goes in to it like do you stay with your clubs for a good bit and then come back into international camp um, I suppose for us since 2018, uh, we've had so much funding come on board that we're now training part-time together. So every Monday and Tuesday we'll be together in Abbottstown and then for the rest of the week you'll be released to your clubs. Um, I'm living up in Dublin but playing with my home club down in Limerick. Um, so a lot of travel. And then in between we'll have tournaments away or trips away. So we'll be going to Argentina in February for two weeks so we might miss a couple of club games. Uh, we're just back from Spain for four days and then what we're gearing up to now is the European Championships in August where we have to finish in the top six to get into a qualifying position um, to get to Paris, which is next January. Um, so all eyes on the Euros and yeah, just trying to accelerate learning and progress and bonding and all that crack um, at the moment. Amazing. Yeah, we look forward to it. Absolutely. And Sarah, I might bring you in. We might bring you all the way back to 2011 was the, the first medal that you brought home from the Special Olympics. Tell us a little bit about that win and that silver medal. Uh, it was unreal. <laughs> I remember, I think I was 14 when it happened, and it was the first time kind of going away without me parents or anything mm -hmm. like that. But I was going off with a great group of girls as well. Um, 
I remember, I think we were playing against Greece, so you're going up against the home team, so um, they had a lot of supporters, but you could hear the Irish more over them, <laughs> to be honest. But um, yeah, what I can remember of it, it was so long ago, um, just, it was unreal. Like, walking out onto the court, like, was such a huge court. I was used to just playing in, like, school uh, courts. Um, I wasn't even with Oblitz at the time yet, because Oblitz has an unreal court as well. But um, just walking out and seeing all the seats, and it was unreal. <laughs> Amazing. And then just four years later, then, you say the silver medal's not enough. You want to go back, you want to get gold, and you do exactly that. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> like, I remember when I came home, I was like, right, knuckle down, start getting back into it. Um, I then joined Oblitz when I was 16, and they were a massive part of me and able to do that. Like, I was extremely shy in the court um, the first time gone, but then the second time, lucky enough, I got to be the captain, and I was able to get that voice out on the court because from going with the with Oblitz, they were pushing me to start speaking a bit more on the court and demanding, and got to bring that over to LA. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it was an all-star performance in that game from you. Yeah, that shot, I don't know. I never shoot those kind of shots. I was <laughs> give me a layup any day. I came back and they were like, oh, do that shot again. And went nowhere near <laughs> the thing. I was like, I swear, lads. I remember leaving my hand and I'm like, what are you doing? And then I went there. I was like, thank God. <laughs> it's funny, like Louise, when you were just saying about the Scotland game, everything sometimes just falls into place at the right time. Yeah, thank <laughs> God did. that did. <laughs> And Oblates, your, your team here in Inchicore, that's your basketball team. Yeah. There's a few of them here tonight. Uh, yeah, there yeah. is just over there. Good stuff. <laughs> and so what was it like, I suppose, to, to join them? They're a big part of your life now. Yeah, I joined them when I was 16. Um, I remember I was extremely shy. Um, that's one of the benefits from sport as well. Mm. Like, once I'm out on the court speaking, no good. Once I'm on the court, I'm happy. But, um, yeah, no, they helped me so much, like, improving how to, like, the technical stuff that you wouldn't get really with Special Olympics, but you would by going mainstream. And the girls were just great. They were so patient with me and now I have friends for life as well. Absolutely. That's the best thing about sport, isn't it? Yeah. And how did you find going mainstream, like in with the girls? Did you I find that a big challenge? or? Yeah, like mm -hmm. I remember coming home saying to my dad, thank God I loved the sport because it was so different, like completely different rules wise as well with the Special Olympics mm -hmm. compared to mainstream. So I said I felt like I knew I had a love for it, so it made me more like fight for my spot on the court then. And yeah, it was a big change, but a good change. <laughs> And how is the season going at the minute? Are you in pre-season or are you in the middle of season? In the middle of uh, seasons. We haven't played that many games um, just because of fixtures, people cancelling our but we're getting back into the swing of it now. We had a game last Friday and we won. So Amazing. Yeah. And when's the next one then? Uh, tomorrow. Oh, very good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Gee, so you'll get to bed early tonight then? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And your dad is a big supporter as well? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, my dad got me involved with sports a lot, like um, playing football. He's more of a football head. <laughs> but, so when I said I wanted to play back, so I was like, right, I have to try and learn this sport, but I'm now playing football as well, so he's happy. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of everything, good yeah. stuff. And speaking of a bit of everything, we also have MMA. Ashling, how did you get into to MMA? I suppose it's growing up in Ireland, it's not the most obvious choice of sport, but I think it's a lot more popular nowadays. 
Yeah, so it was just one of those things. Um, I'm from Drimnet originally, just up the road. So there mm. was a, a youth club, uh, St. John Bosco, some of you guys might know it. And on a Monday evening, there was like a Monday night club. And you could choose to do art, karate, or basketball. <laughs> I'm a little bit too short for basketball. Um, I couldn't draw you a matchstick man. So I said I'd give the, the karate a go. And I just really enjoyed it. So as that kind of progressed and mixed martial arts became a bit more mainstream, my instructor at the time started to do bits and pieces of grappling or Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I really enjoyed that. And uh, eventually we were kind of issued this ultimatum. You can either do karate or like you'll have to go off and do that other stuff. So uh, my instructor at the time set up a club then. And that's when I started doing mixed martial arts properly. So at that point, there was no club here locally for you? Uh, no, there wasn't. Okay. No, yeah. There wasn't really much going on in the country, full stop. Yeah. Um, it was unusual. Like, I remember looking at, like, VHS tapes, you know, of <laughs> UFC 1 or something, you know, this kind of thing. Like, it, it was just, yeah, it was really niche kind of at the time. But I just found something that I really enjoyed doing and... It didn't seem strange to me at the time because I was so young. Sometimes when, even when I'm looking back, I realise like kind of how naive I was and how I just found something that I liked doing and I kept doing it and I didn't really see anything wrong with it. Like, And then obviously as you get a little bit, you're like, all right, I can see why people might have a bit of a problem with that or might have thought that was a bit strange. Like, Well, I think watching it, you'd, you'd need this fearless nature. Um, you know, not everybody w- would have that in them, but obviously you had a bit of that in you probably as a child anyway to go into a sport like that. Um, I was actually really shy. It was just seemed to be competing in martial arts, like kind of got rid of that for me. Like if you mm. had to ask me to like public speak or something like that, I probably would have found that quite difficult. But just something came with competing that I found easy and you were just kind of in the flow of it and you didn't really think about being nervous or, or anything like that. But um, yeah, I just kind of found my niche with that. And obviously you're massively talented. Um, you trained under John Cavanagh, not too far away from here then? Uh, yeah, so we started off um, originally up in the Longwell Road mm. and then we moved like several gyms. And then um, obviously SPG have their, the gym across the way here. I don't train in that gym anymore. But um, yeah, just to kind of progress from there. I got to a certain level training in my local club where I kind of got to the same grade in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as my instructor. And he just said to me, look, if you want to get good at this sport, you're going to go have to go off and train with, with John Cavanagh. That's just how it is. So uh, I just had to, to leave then. So I kind of, at the start, I was trying to train between two different clubs and it just meant that I was training seven days a week and that wasn't really mm-hmm. sustainable. And um, at the start, like, I, I didn't ever think about, like, making a career over anything like that. I was, uh, the first time around in college, I was studying. I was like, oh, maybe I'll have one or two pro fights and, and see if I'm good at this. And then one or two pro fights turned into a 10-year-long career. And, like, I didn't look back since, but it was all completely unexpected, you know. I was supposed to be a teacher then, and then I just took 10 years off, and now I'm going back to do that now. (laughs) Wow. And obviously then it was 2018, or 2017, sorry, when you retired. I know it wasn't your decision as such. Tell us a little bit about that, and I suppose accepting that decision and how it all came about for you. Um, It was just a a routine kind of brain scan so every year what would happen is we'd have like a full kind of medical we'd get our brain scan done like um, blood work all that kind of stuff just make sure that we were taken over for for the next year and um, I basically I had a knee injury so I'd been off for a couple of months and I was due to fight again and uh, my neurologist said oh well you're going in to get this scan done on the knee why don't you just go in and get the the brain scan a couple of months earlier or whatever so obviously it's a routine brain scan I'm Mm -hmm. not thinking anything of it went in got the scan Um, then I got an email 
email from him saying, oh, would you come in and chat to me in the office? And I was like, this is kind of weird. Normally you just get an email saying, all good, see you next year type thing. Um, so went in, saw him in the office and he just kind of sat me down and went, look, there's something showing up here. I'm not really too happy about it. It looks like at some point in the previous 12 months that you've had a brain hemorrhage. Now, I had no symptoms. I didn't realise that anything was wrong. But he just said to me, look, there's, there's evidence here on the scan and I'm not going to medically clear you to compete again. And um, he said, if you can find somebody else, but I'm not going to. But sure, I'd had the same neurologist for years and I'd been quite friendly with him and stuff. So mm -hmm. when he said to me, like, my advice to you is to retire before this, this gets worse. Like, you've had a lucky escape. Like, literally nothing has changed about you. But if you get any kind of hemorrhage like that again parts of you could change. Like, it could be something to do with your personality. You, you mightn't be yourself anymore. You might lose some kind of limb function, whatever. So uh, I always used the pun, it was a no-brainer to me <laughs> <laughs> to, to just stop then. Like, a, like, I'd had a really good career. It was, like, it was super disappointing in some ways because I was at the height of my career, you know. I was ranked, you know, top 15 in the UFC. Mm -hmm. I was probably two fights away from fighting for a UFC title. And when you'd spent your whole life working towards that, like it literally did feel like the, the rug was ripped out from underneath me. And for the first couple of years, definitely after I retired, I was aimless, you know. I was trying to find something that kind of clicked with me. And I'd always kind of coached uh, kids sports, like uh, especially Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I really enjoyed that. And then gradually over time, people were just saying to me, you're really good with the kids. We don't think about doing teaching. Oh, I think you'd make a great teacher. And because the first time around I dropped out of college to become a professional fighter, I didn't have a degree. So I was like, oh, four years, big commitment, like to go back mm. and do this. Like, and right now I'm actually in my final year, on my final year placement. Hopefully we'll be qualified in April. So amazing. Like that would have never happened had I not no. retired. And like I'm happier now than I was when I was competing. Like as Louise said earlier, like it's absolutely all encompassing. Like every decision you make in your life goes towards your sport. And you let things disappear, like, you know, your friendships and stuff can be difficult to maintain. You might have kind of a difficult relationship with your family members because you're not going to things. If, you, if mm. there's training on, you're missing birthday parties, you're missing weddings, you're missing nights out. And only people who kind of are, are in the same sport as you or in the same kind of journey as you will get that. And now that I'm kind of out of that, I can kind of see things a little bit better. So I spend more time like building my personal relationships and working on myself and all that kind of stuff, which I didn't really do. It was kind of like, forego everything else to reach this, this goal. Like, mm -hmm. like you 10 years, so you're investing into that and you probably have the blinkers on a small, but I'm sure you've all probably had this. And when you're in professional sports, semi-professional sports, you know, that's all you can see really. Is it hard at times really to have that balance, Louise? Like, I suppose between Birmingham City, the Republic of Ireland team, and then your family and friends, you know, trying to balance being able to, to see them and spend time with them while doing it all professionally too. Yeah, it does. It, it takes, yeah, a lot of self-commitment, I think. Yeah, mm. potentially your family and friends may, I suppose, kind of suffer from it, but when they support you so much, it's it kind of it becomes a bit of a bit of their routine as well but it is something where yeah and I've, I've had to you know I lived in Sweden for four years I then moved to England I moved to to Italy during Covid um, you know and so you never got home then really at all and it was you know there was there was no one around it was yeah it was a bit mad but um, yeah so you do you just it is it's mm -hmm when yeah if you kind of you have maybe some friends that maybe just 
can't relate to it sometimes it can yeah, be you just need them to get it almost yeah, yeah yeah and and for the most part it is it is absolutely grand but as you say you miss yeah you miss a lot of things and that's mm -hmm. it it can it can hurt a lot as well mm -hmm. sometimes you know you want to have that i don't know that kind of normal life to be able to go to yeah events and yeah i've i've missed weddings i've missed yeah. i've missed you know everything but it's uh it's also careers that are that are short lived and some, sometimes can be cut shorter than you don't want them to be and mm -hmm. it's uh yeah so you've kind of just got to take it for what it is and and then you also kind of yeah you know then like you know really kind of what friends and family understand mm -hmm. that they're the ones backing you and you can you know you can still build everything and you have so much support there but yeah it can definitely be be tough sometimes but it's uh yeah, it's a, a relatively short-lived career, so I think you've just, yeah, you've got to make the most of it. When you can, yeah, absolutely. And Roisin, do you feel that you've had to make sacrifices within your sport? Yeah, of course, I suppose, like anyone. Um, I think COVID probably gave me a time to slow down. It was, it was probably a blessing to actually reflect on what's been going on, because when you're in such a fast-moving sport and there's constantly, you're moving from club to international, you're not even getting a chance to celebrate things sometimes, or you know, all of a sudden it's the new year and you're thinking back to, oh my God, what have I even done the last 12 months? And um, as tough as COVID was, it really gave me space to probably reflect on everything that's happened and realise that I probably do need to take day to day slower and make more time for those small things that do matter. Um, because, because, yeah, it goes by in the flash of your eyes and I'm 28 now, I don't know how many more years I have, but... Um, uh, 28, I, I, you're going. Yeah. You're all right. <laughs> you're grand. <laughs> Push it on. <laughs>
And just as we talk about women in sport as a whole in Ireland, like I definitely feel as a reporter over the last number of years, I definitely see the growth. You know, you see the coverage and the profile of different sports stars yourselves, you know, people know about all of you now, you know, it's, you're out there, you're, you're front and center and it's exactly what we wanted for so long, but it feels like we've had to fight to get there. But do you see a difference, Louise? Yeah, like a huge difference. And there's, um, you know, even just kind of doing events like this. Mm -hmm. And then I was, you know, doing the 20 by 20. And so you were linked in with other ambassadors. And so you had, you know, Leona Maguire mm -hmm. for golf, Sarah Rowe for, for GAA, all, you know, all these different sports. So it actually just then, even for me, just introduced me to, you know, other sports that has, you know, has put a massive interest behind it. And you can see that you know, growing month on month, year on year. Um, but yeah, it does. It's, it, ta it takes a lot of graft and you have to, you know, it, it takes a lot of, um, you know, kind of togetherness from a team mm -hmm. to kind of push it on to, you know, to get the, I suppose, facility. And, and you have to earn the right to almost be mm -hmm. there. You have, to, you have to prove yourself a lot more than, than maybe sports, sports men do. Mm -hmm. um, gain in that respect yeah constantly yeah mm -hmm. constantly and you're it's going to be you know it feels like it's it's still you know going to be non-stop for another while but I think you know I think we kind of love the fight as well Jimmy you know I it's kind of built into us now it's it's part of it's ingrained in us to you know to want more and and to to raise standards and to always you know you know raise the you know the ceiling is so high and to keep raising and raising mm -hmm. and keep going above that but yeah, for me, just kind of what women's sport in Ireland now is is just is huge, and mm -hmm. it's and people are getting the, you know, the either airtime or just making a living out of out of their talent yeah. and what they can do and their and their love for it, and you know, it's going to be something that we have to keep working for and we're going to keep going for. But yeah, literally how everyone's kind of achieved and and done everything in their sport, it then it is that from what came from you know 20 by 20 like if you can't see it you can't be it and mm -hmm. that is huge and just to kind of even come back to to Ireland these days and, and see and hear stories about again how women's football is is growing more and more and the demand is is so big it, it you know it really makes you feel proud and know you know kind of at times where you've really put your neck on the line and you yeah. know we did that a few years ago we really put our neck on the line and that was that only it, what 2017 yeah yeah and then 2023 you're sitting here and you're going to a world cup <laughs> yeah thank god you've done that <laughs> absolutely yeah. and for you roshin from when you started out say in hockey to now what big changes have you seen yeah i suppose as louise was chatting there i was just thinking about who i looked up to growing up and it would have been roy Keane, paul o'connell the obvious ones um so it's 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 amazing now to see that there's so many women across so many different sports that young girls and boys can look up to equally. Um, I, and at e like equally, I do think we have a long way to go, but it's changed immensely in the past 20 years um, and, and we are going in the right direction. And yeah, for, for hockey, um, you know, there's new clubs popping up all around the country. Um, I grew up in inner Limerick City. Um, my local club was a, f a football club and, you know, there's hockey clubs being set up and th that's what you want for sports. You want it to be accessible all over the country. So girls have a choice mm -hmm. um, and it's not just them joining in with boys teams until they get to 12 and then they're trying to figure out what they want to do um, 
So yeah, we, we've a long way to go, but but we're going well. Absolutely. And Sarah, do you feel that you've seen a difference within the the basketball world? Definitely, yeah. Um, like with the national league girls, seeing so many little girls going and seeing them, and like looking up to them, going, "Oh, I can't wait one day to be out on the court doing the same." And it's like they're not just looking up to boys going oh well it's only boys that play basketball so I can't play basketball I've seen a lot of girls and doing really well on the court and it inspires them and it's great to see yeah like you said Ashling, that when you started there was there was no club I'm sure at this point in 2023 there's a lot more MMA clubs there's a lot more young girls playing and getting involved yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the numbers are actually astonishing, even just for women participating in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like, mm-hmm. um, there's online, you know, Facebook groups and stuff like that, and we're probably up at, at thousands now. Whereas I remember, you know, training and not not having any other females in the club. I even remember going to compete, and if I wanted to compete in tournaments, I had to enter the men's division. You know, for for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is is nuts. Like, so it's like the the progress has been amazing, and I've I've been delighted to be part of that. And then even in terms of just mixed martial arts. Um, just when all the girls were talking about different things I remembered a couple of ridiculous stories from when I started competing like my first couple of professional fights uh, in the UK uh, we were due to be the first ever televised female bout on Sky Sports and there was kind of promo work done and some of the stuff that they were asking us to do when I think about it now there was this kind of like freak show factor about it it wasn't like the women's fight wasn't just like oh it's just another fight on the, the card it was like oh it's a women's bout and uh, one of the photo shoots that they had us do was kind of like ball gowns and tiaras oh and MMA gloves <laughs> yeah it was really bad there was another one I drew, I drew the line at this um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen there was a um, in the 90s like the supermodels female supermodels it was um, we'd rather go naked than we we're for and all the female supermodels were so they were trying to get us to do that but like MMA gloves so no I didn't do oh that my God. But this was the kind did of did other le- girls do that? Uh, other girls did do it yeah yeah I just didn't thankfully I wouldn't have done much for my uh, teaching career I don't think <laughs> <laughs> Miss Daly <Good> choice <laughs> But like so bizarre to to see that like and how far we've come and now like I've been in town and there's adverts for like female fights on the side of the Lewis and stuff like that. So instead of being this kind of freak show like oh this is bizarre like this you know it's gone mainstream to the point now it's just accepted mm. and I remember even some of the interviews. I remember like doing what I felt was a serious interview. And then reading the article after it was printed and the headline was help her find her Mr. Fight. Because they had asked me one question in the article. Oh, are you dating anybody or ever? Like, oh no, too busy training, whatever, you know, this kind of thing. Like, this what year was that, if you don't mind me? Asking. Oh, I'd say it was probably around maybe 2009, 2010. Like, yeah, it was. It was quite a while ago, but I wouldn't be not surprised. Not that long ago, Yeah, though. not yeah. that long ago, yeah. No. And, like, it was... Uh, it was actually a little bit later than that. It must have been 2012, because I actually won a world title at that stage. Yeah. And that was the, what the interview was about. Jesus. And so you're winning world titles. And, and then that, that was the headline, was the headline, you know. Whereas now, you see, like, female fighters being interviewed, and they're genuine questions. Like, the questions were being asked here, like, actual questions, not, like, take your clothes off and yeah. tell us who you're dating. <laughs> like, we're laughing, but I remember a story with Stephanie Roach. I think she told me about when she mm. got her first professional contract and they did like a promo for the team the soccer team and it was like you know you go out in your your shorts and your jersey but they like cut them up to hot pants Mm. and they're putting them on a billboard and like the jerseys were like skin tight not anything you'd ever wear going out to play a game and she didn't know the language i'm pretty sure she went to italy that time yeah 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 Yeah, she was in florence as well yeah, yeah that's it yeah and 
she didn't know the language and she was trying to tell them, no, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. And they were just telling her, just get changed, you know. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, that would never happen now. And in 2010, it's not that long ago. But thankfully, that's obviously the massive change that we've seen. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and that's the thing, yeah, it's different in different countries. And mm. Italy was definitely a, an odd one. That, that club she played for are no longer a club. So... That's Thanks probably helpful, yeah, because yeah. They're, they're doing crap like that. Um, but it was, like, we were, yeah, I was literally, I was in, that's where I was playing as well, in Florence. Yeah. And it was, it was like the the passion in the country for the sport is is huge. Like, it's, it is unbelievable. And, you know, you'd even sometimes walk around the city and, yeah, some Italian might shout something at me, but just about from the game, that you know, or good win, or they tell you being like, terrible loss like you were crap and I was like yeah no that's fair enough like you, but you didn't mind because they were you felt like they were invested and mm. their honesty is is great but then it was yeah but then kind of in in around the club setting you know it was you know we weren't allowed at the training ground and um, it was actually once we got to the training ground if the men were there uh the coach didn't want us to wear shorts but it was 36 degrees yeah, and you're just wearing a pair of shorts like I don't really you know, if we're going by, don't walk by his office because we make too much noise. Oh my you know, God. it's all, and we had like a female general manager and yeah, it was something where, yeah, like I, I didn't know the language too much, but I, I spoke up quite a bit. And so even the Italian girls were kind of like, Lou, will you go ask for this? Will you try do this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you try translate it across. Cause I was just kind of like, I'm, I felt like I'd just been through so much. I was like, I'm not going to stand for you know, being told not to wear a pair of shorts or don't arrive there because the men are go there, go down in, in the under car, in underground car park so you're not kind of, so you can go in the back way. And I was just like, no, like, no, that can't, that's not the way. But that, like, that's just how some cultures are. And sometimes you have to try adapt to them, but it's also about kind of like trying to bring the change and, you know, have, you know, international players there to, to try do that. And that's what a lot of us, you know, were trying to do, but mm -hmm. it was very, very difficult. Did they times. listen when you would say, no, we're not doing that, or you go on behalf of the players? Um, some, sometimes. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, then that manager, yeah, kind of, or well, like half, half got fired. Some other manager came in and he was absolutely fine. And then that manager then got fired and they brought back the old manager. Like, oh this is God. just things that, you know, this is just things I do. And I was like, oh. Surely he got fired. I was, like, it's, I was like, it's 37 degrees. I'm going to have to put trousers back on. I just oh, can't. my God. No, Outrageous. No, absolutely. Or like, they're kind of like, oh, you can't, you know, you can't go in there. And I'd be like, I'm, go like, I'm going in there. Like, you know, I, I don't care. Like, you know, if you have to go do this that, and the other. And you could see just a certain fear. And it's, it is just, yeah, it's a, it's a shame country to country, do you know what I mean? And then, mm -hmm. you know, it's the, it's the complete opposite in Sweden, where I was, do you know what I mean? That's a mm -hmm. a very just, yeah, open, massively open culture. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's yeah. I, I actually didn't know that about Steph though either, that it was, yeah, but I knew she had a tough time. Mm -hmm. Well, thankfully, I think nowadays it's a maybe night and day in the difference. Well, I hope so anyway, um, in the progress that we're seeing, I think across all sports. And I think we're going to have a Q&A now. Joe is uh, out in the audience. So if anybody has any questions. I'm <laughs> 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 
opportunity and thanks a million to all the... Yes, we have a lady here, she's absolutely dying. <laughs> Stand up. Ah, thanks girls. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to kick it off, Roisin? Yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose it's funny growing up, you're just doing what you love and then all of a sudden you're into this position where all of a sudden people kind of know you. <laughs> but really you're just trying to be yourself and do what you love every day. And I think since 2018, that's all we've tried to do as a team. We've never got media training. We've We've always spoke our minds, um, and if anything, I think that's what we do well, to just be yourself, to have the crack, to put on a smile on your face when you're going out in the most nerve-wracking moment of your whole life, um, you know, to cry when you lose. There's, there's no hiding behind anything, um, and, and we've never put on masks. Um, so that's probably something that I think um, I'm proud of. Um, and then... Something that I think that I'd, I'd like us to improve is probably just to get around the country more, which is something that we're speaking about a lot at the moment, and you know, get to clubs that mightn't have access to coming to Dublin. Um, our squad base is in Dublin, and you know, we don't have a Croke Park or an Aviva Stadium that girls can come to to watch us play, so it's, it's few and far between that we have home international games. So um, at the moment, we're trying to figure out when in the year is, is a good and appropriate time to, to travel to different corners of the country. Um, so, yeah, that's probably something. Brilliant, yeah. That's a really good point. I never really thought about it like that. You don't have your Aviva or Crow Park, so it is probably important to, to get around. And Sarah, for you? Um, the good path about it, especially with the club that I'm in, the inclusive, it doesn't matter what disability you have or and like you can come down once you're willing to dedicate to the team, they'll happily have you. Um, more from Special Olympics, um, what I'd like to see is a bit more televised. It's not really televised. Like I had a lot of people like in the oblates, like, oh, what time is your final? Uh, I want to watch it. And it wasn't even televised. Now, there was media out there, but unfortunately, they weren't able to see the game. Um, I think people don't see it as important, which obviously I think it is. So that's what I'd love to see is if it got more televised and got a bit more recognition because it's not easy. <laughs> like going over there, the talent over there is unreal, like so good. Amazing. And Ashley, what about you? Um, I think, uh, especially because mixed martial arts and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are kind of in their infancy in this country in terms of governing bodies and stuff like that, um, like there's not a lot being done on any level to kind of support women but I feel like on a grassroots level because the sport has become so popular there's people like myself and like other female black belts around the country and other female professional fighters that are kind of organizing group training sessions for the women and they're kind of just doing that themselves and they're networking there's lots of whatsapp groups and stuff that you know there's open mats and different training sessions going on that people can just kind of invite themselves along to and just be part of but um yeah, I, I like the way it's going. It's all very positive, but I definitely feel like the like the 
government bodies involved, like the IM and stuff like that could be doing a little bit more to support, like in terms of structures, like maybe like a, a female officer or something that would be in charge of mm. the development of the sport rather than the people having to take charge on the ground. Like. Yeah, because you find yourself setting up WhatsApp groups and networking with people that you know that are involved and let's try to do this when if there was someone that was an officer to do it, yeah. it would develop and a lot quicker. And if there was quicker. money behind it so that yeah. people aren't spending their own money like to travel and organise these things. Like It's kind of the goodwill of people to say, oh yeah, you can use my gym down in Galway and we all trek down to Galway instead of kind of organising something a bit more formal with kind of governing bodies and structures in place to support that. Yeah, absolutely. And Louise, for you? Um... <laughs> I just think, obviously, yeah, the good that has, you know, come of the last while is just obviously showing, yes, maybe when you don't have the facilities, you're a bit of an underdog. It's a, I suppose, it, you know, or it almost felt like that kind of minority, mm -hmm. you know, sport that actually it can, it's been shown that with, yeah, like, you know, a bit of heart, love for the sport, um, that you can achieve it, and that there are because basically there there's already a there's already a blueprint for football. It's all there, mm -hmm. so it's actually just about how you can grab hold of it and take it. Um, and I think, yeah, our girls have kind of like even as Roshi was saying, you, you know, you want to to show off your personality. You want to make sure that you're you know as true and honest um, as a as person and people and and as a team that you can be. And I think. You know that's something that has that has come across in in the last few years, and kind of Big that time. yeah that determination just to to not give up on it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and and we hope that has come across, and it feels like in that way it has. Um, and yeah, probably something that is, uh, yeah, I suppose not as good is is easier as kind of the grassroots um, of everything. As we've even said again, the blueprint is all there, the facilities are mostly there, but it's not there for girls. Um, you know, it's it's pushed to the side. It's like, well, no, you can't go to this training session because, and you could be a, a senior women's team, and you're like, but the, you know, the under eight boys are there, and then the under sevens, <laughs> and then the, you know, the the tiny tots, and it's like, but it's, you know, and it's absolutely, and, this happens. and it's this does happen, and and I'm not saying to take that away from them, no. but it's about, yeah, obviously prioritizing of people that are coming in yeah potentially of ages of potentially who needs to you know to work do this that and the other but just make it a an equal playing field um and i feel like that's yeah something as well that we want to keep pushing on again the the national league has been around for you know over 10 years or just about and you know that hasn't progressed only just now so where, you know, where is that time mm -hmm. gone? And I know all of these things do take time, but for me, it feels like, you know, have, have we wasted time? Is there something more we could have done that also maybe could have progressed the game earlier? And even as Roshi was saying, you want to make sure that you can kind of guess across the country as well. You know, it'd mm -hmm. be something where I'd love that every player, you know, gets to go back to their local club, local schools. You know, for me, it's, it's all about the schools all the time. Um, you know what you can do there primary secondary that's where you're gonna really target and make an impact um, and that was even something I learned when I was in Sweden as well it was that was it that was a culture mm -hmm. six-year-olds grew up knowing that women play football and can and now they're you know they're a world-class team and they have the facilities and they have 
that sort of development mm-hmm. to go on. So that would be something, yeah, that would... When you were growing up, was it obvious that women played football? No. No, not at all. Um, yeah, obviously, I was yeah crazy Liverpool fan, absolutely loved it. Um, for me, yeah, it's, you know, it was... Mike Lone and all that, it was my favourite player, but it wasn't, yeah, until I became a teenager, really, that I then started to learn of players like Emma Byrne, Yvonne Tracy, um, mm-hmm. Olivia O'Toole, you know, but that was, I was like, yeah, like, you know, a proper teenager. It was only until I was kind of starting going in and playing with them that I actually knew about these kind of incredible people, or maybe once a year you'd see the FA Cup final on the TV and, um, you know, and it was mostly Arsenal that was always playing it. So, you, you know, thankfully got to see the likes of Emma Bernie Vaughan, Neve, Kira Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it, it took, it took a lot. Um, and yeah, I didn't really know, but for me, yeah, it was, I suppose something that you don't know that it maybe affects you at that time and you still have this, I just saw, people playing football and I was like I want to play football yeah so I didn't yeah I didn't you know I didn't really see the gender in it brilliant at that stage Mm -hmm. for me but but then when you kind of start to think and look back you're like okay yeah it was quite obvious but thankfully as a a kid it just went right over my head and thankfully so many young girls are seeing Louise Quinn playing for Ireland now so they don't need to think that way so that's brilliant Um, well, thank you so much, everybody, for coming out to Joe Donnelly and everybody here at Rascals for putting the show on. I think it's amazing that we're celebrating women in sport, women in Irish sport, and thankfully it has been so successful over the last number of years, and hopefully it does continue. So thanks to all of you for coming out and for supporting Women's Aid as well. Most importantly, what a great cause. So thank you to Louise Quinn, Ashling Daly, Sarah Byrne, and Roisin Upton. <laughs> <laughs>